All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on uh, January the 24th, 2017. Um, I'd like to remind each of you that I am also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can call us here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. As I mentioned before, Chen Lin uh, is uh, no longer uh, working directly with me. Uh, we are no longer providing back office services to Chen Lin, but you can sign up for Chen's letter at chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. Chen and I remain really good friends. We'll trade ideas from time to time, um, investment ideas from time to time. I really have a high respect for him and his work ethic. Uh, and so you'll be hearing from Chen from time to time on this show. He'll be a guest now and then. And you'll probably get some of his investment ideas through me as well. But if you want to really take advantage of Chen Lin and his expertise and his genius, go to chenpicks.com. And I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And I'd like to encourage you to send along your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for today's show, making it economically viable. They are Dynasert, Gold Predator, uh, that is Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, RN Resources, and Novo Resources, and in fact, uh, we'll be speaking to the CEO of Chilean Metals in just a few minutes after our first commercial break today. I've titled today's show, Is Trump America's Last Chance for a 1776 Revival? Richard Mayberry and Michael Oliver return. Michael will be with me just in a, in a minute or two here. And Patrick Cruikshank, he's, uh, he'll be with us for the first time. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Chilean metals. Prior to the election, Jim Rickards uh, option or opined on this show that Donald Trump may be the last chance America has to return to its 1776 roots as a republic. Well, I don't know if that's what Trump has in mind or not. And certainly, when Jim Rickards mentioned that to us on this show, it didn't seem as though the odds were that great for Trump. But with the uh, unexpected happening, we're going to ask Richard Mayberry at around half past the hour, uh, you know, why the basis for a true revolution and a return to the values of our founding fathers may or may not 
actually be in place. I want to hear what Richard has to say about that. A lot of other ideas he has related to Trump's policies and uh, seemingly what some people are concerned about, uh, policies that would hinder uh, international trade. Well, to be sure, there are big differences between now and 1776 that could certainly derail uh, any efforts that lead us uh, towards back towards uh, the ideals of our founding fathers. But we do want to get Richard's ideas on that, and uh, uh, so I look forward to talking to Richard about half past the hour. And as I said, Patrick Cruikshank will be with us uh, in just a few minutes as you talk about what are some very highly prospective iron oxide, copper, gold exploration targets in Chile and Nova Scotia. And for a company that has a market cap of just $12 million, if they were to hit on one of those targets that they have uh, and hit something really significant, uh, obviously the stock could rise to many, many, many fold over where it is currently selling. But of course, if I had wings, I could fly. We'll talk to Mr. Kirkshank to get his views on uh, and find out what he's planning to do with Chilean metals. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us once again. Uh, thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Great to be back, Jay. Missed you last week, but you're back and... Um, Understand you were doing a little acting or involved in some video or yeah. some production. The son made an independent film and I had a minor role. So <laughs> okay. Anyway. Well, maybe maybe you'll be a movie star in your yeah yeah in your retirement. Yeah. Well, in I your, can quit this business and, and go to film. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I think it, <laughs> well, I think you'd have to be a darn good actor yeah. to justify quitting this business because you're yeah. because of your success in this business, Michael and I. I think there'd be a, a lot of unhappy people if you uh, if you chose to exit your um, your technical analysis. Um, it's OliverMSA.com, folks. OliverMSA.com. Go there to learn more about Michael. Well, Michael Gold is uh, is really you know holding up quite well. And you were talking recently. I think you suggested maybe in December sometime that if we could close above eleven ninety any month in the new year, or I guess above eleven ninety in December. Right. We, any 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 time above eleven ninety in the new year, that would be a pretty pretty bullish sign. That's what you're still thinking. I still think that. Yeah, I think uh, any monthly close back above the three year average, <clears throat> uh, which is eleven ninety point one seven to be precise, so it will look like a you know definitely an arm up over the wall um, and indicate that the low is of that uh, scary sell off for most uh, is in place, and therefore the only issue is what's the rate of increase. Um, uh, however, I, su- I suggest this. Well, uh, MSA, Momentum Structural Analysis, always looks across asset categories, and we often find linkages. And right now I would say the more important technical for gold is not gold itself, but is the euro and the dollar index. And the euro traded uh, yesterday and today up close to 108, not quite touching it, now trading around 107.50. Uh, if you get the 108, that is very bullish for the euro. In our view, it takes out last year's momentum high on an annual mm-hmm. oscillator. Now, last year's price high was up around 115 plus. So I'm not talking about price. I'm talking about our momentum studies. Now, the mm-hmm. dollar index is the opposite, which is 57% comprised of the euro. So the euro is effectively, you know, the dominant factor in the dollar index. Mm-hmm. Dollar index recently beat its chest, punched through a two-year high, at 100.50, got up to 103.50, and traded recently back down into the 99s. Now, 
with that recent euro strength. Uh, if the dollar index gets to 99, I'm talking the cash index, not the futures version, uh, especially a monthly close there or lower, I think it's a bear market at that point. Wow. And we've been, we were bullish, we flip-flop. So we were bullish in 2011 when the dollar was in the 70s and we projected a high of 100. And that's where it got to in 2015 and again in 2016. So the recent protrusion on the price charts out above 100.50 excited a lot of people, but did not excite us. Uh, because from a momentum point of view, when we measured on our oscillators, it did not make a new high. Price did, but momentum laughed at it. Um, and now we've slumped off back under the 100 level or around there. So again, about one point below the market on the dollar index, it breaks a 10-year momentum uptrend. That's a very hmm. significant. Okay, wow. If those two events occur, euro up, dollar down, uh, regardless of where gold is, I would assume gold's going with it upside. So I would look, if I'm a gold person, I would start looking more at the euro and the dollar index than I would at gold. I see. Okay. Well, and as I look at the uh, the index right now, Michael, it's 100.35. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we're talking about less than 1.5% down, and we break through. <clears throat> That's correct. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I so think that if you see those numbers, I think you should uh, assume that gold, which is, after all, rebounded $100 from its recent low during a four-week period, uh, from a uh, 11.23 low to a 12.20 high, um, which occurred the other day, um, is saying, you know, that was it. And especially if you can close a month out above 11.90. But the issue is that additional spark. Remember, gold's done a lot of good for itself, especially gold miners, which are now about 23, 24 area versus last year's low at about 13 on the GDX. Um, mm-hmm that they've done this without dollar help. Yeah. The dollar's not been weak during that period of time. Imagine mm-hmm. if the dollar got weak. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, that would be like supercharging gold. So I'm very much focused on the dollar index. Yeah, and the gold shares have really outperformed the uh, the bullion, and you expect that to continue? I can expect that to continue. I think gold, you watch, you monitor <laughs> it, and so forth, but it's not the best vehicle this time around. I think the gold miners remain the best vehicle. All right, with a couple of minutes left, I know you've also uh, turned a bit more cautious on on uh, on oil. Would mm-hmm. you care to comment on that just for a moment? Yeah, uh, oil had a great year last year, 45% gain. I think uh, right now we're trading in the 53 area. It wouldn't shock me to see it in the upper 50s before it's over. Uh, and I think I would view that move from $26 low to, a, let's say, a $58 high, when something in the upper 50s would be satisfactory, uh, to be the first leg of a long-term recovery process. But after getting there and after being the leader in the commodity asset category last year, uh, mm-hmm. I think it will be replaced this year by the food commodities, uh, the growing commodities, uh, meats, grains, cotton, things like that, uh, have a far better chance to have large percent gains this year, uh, matching what, like what oil did last year. But oil looks like it's going to have its work cut out for it this year, though I still think there's more upside in the immediate horizon. But I, I, I'm suggesting to people who got long last year, as we suggested, mm-hmm. um, it's time to be thinking about exiting, not adding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, and with regard to the uh, uh, to the grains or to agriculture in general, I know you you sort of track Moo, which is an ETF that covers the agricultural 
sector. And is that looking pretty bullish to you now? That looks good. I, the, there are futures-related ETFs, DBA, which is the Agricultural Futures, which includes meats and grains. Then there's the JJG, which is simply grain futures. Uh-huh. Those are probably the most potent ways to participate, unleveraged. Uh, but in the stock sector, uh, meaning stocks that deal with agricultural issues like uh, Monsanto uh-huh. and Agrium and um, Potash and so forth, sure. uh, the Moo represents those stock symbols. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to out- both outperform the S&P going forward and, two, probably even go up in price even if the S&P goes down. And I think they'll benefit- those stocks, like emerging market stocks as well, will benefit from a commodity price rise. And so yeah, right, look well, at that ETF, Moo, M-O-O. All right. Well, we'll okay. try to do that. That's um, an interesting way to play the, uh, an interesting way to play, and an easy way for for retail investors to play this sector. Probably. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with us. You're always so welcome. So so happy to have you with us. We're really Thank pleased you, that you could be with us once again. And all the best. Hope to talk to you again next week. All right, folks. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break. Don't go away though, because uh, Patrick Kirkshank will be with us to talk about what I think is a very exciting, speculative. Venture, uh, looking for, for gold and copper, iron ore, etc. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Patrick Crookshank. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold and over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Patrick Cruikshank. Patrick has been the CEO of Chilean Metals uh, since March of 2016. Since 2013, he has been active as president and CEO of Koganov Inc., successfully raising over a couple of million dollars and negotiating two joint ventures on, on three of its uh, iron oxide copper gold uh, projects in Nova Scotia and in challenging in a very challenging economic environment. We want to ask Patrick to talk a little bit more about uh, about the IOCG type of deposits. Um, he's currently also serving as CEO and Director of Minotaur Atlantic Exploration. Uh, for the past five years, Patrick has uh, been instrumental in the private equity space in the United States and Canada, with his focus most recently on energy and mining resources companies, both in Texas and uh, in Canada. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Patrick has over 15 years uh, working experience in the securities industry. He's been with Merrill Lynch, Citigroup, Smith Barney, and several other securities firms. And he was the founder of Commonwealth Advisors LLC, uh, a company in the United States. As far as I can recall, Patrick was probably a first on this show in that he was an Olympian, having served and actually played on the Canadian soccer team in the past. So, uh, and he's also um, an Olympic development staff staff coach as well. Uh, welcome, Patrick. It's good to have you with me. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for inviting me to your show today. Well, it's really good to have you. I, I think that the iron oxide copper gold target is something I want to ask you about. should tell our listeners that your company trades in Canada under the symbol CMX. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol CMETF, CMETF. 74 or 75.4 million shares out, I think, after you do a, a relatively small private placement that you just uh, announced recently. And uh, earlier today, it was t- selling at 16 cents in U.S. money. That's a market cap of $12 million, which is quite small compared to what I suspect it will be if and when you find something of significance in several of your target properties. So I, I have to ask you, first of all, to get started here, Patrick, uh, talk to us about iron oxide, copper, gold, Targets. We're looking at some sort of uh, some sort of geology that hosts uh, that hosts these kind of deposits, iron and copper and gold um, all together. I guess, and um, I guess it could be quite valuable. And uh, could you give us an idea of maybe another example of an iron oxide, copper, gold target that, and and give us some idea of what they can, what they might be worth. Some of the better ones. Right. Um, iron oxide, copper, gold, or IOCG, as you mentioned, um, means a few things to a couple of different geologists. It seems to be a bucket these days that people in the last 20 years have been throwing these massive size and scale deposits into a, to a bucket because there is so much copper and gold. To give you some kind of uh, temperature on this, uh, Candelaria, Olympic Dam, Prominent Hill, those are three massive iron ore, copper, gold deposits the four biggest mines on the planet. And uh, I think Olympic Dam is something like 4 billion tons of copper, 100 or 200 million ounces of gold. Candelaria, about 25 years ago when it was discovered, uh, was, I think that was a billion, pound, billion tons of copper and, and 100 million ounces of gold. So that's the size and scale of IOCG deposits. They are massive open pit mines. Mm. And Chile, of all the jurisdictions, is 
They have an IOCG belt, and it's the number one producing copper country on the planet. So well, you're, that yeah. is the size and scale. I think Candelaria was purchased three or four years ago by Lundin Mining for $1.8 billion. I see. After 25 years of mining. <laughs> okay. And, Incredible. Uh, is, are, is, does it still have a, a significant mine life? Or are they running out of ore? Or what's, what's the story there? Do you have any no, idea? You know, I don't know anything official, but it's primarily about, I think uh, I've heard terms about half, half the mine life's gone. Like, these are massive mines that go for many, many, many decades. Sure. They're huge amounts, obviously. Um, you know, Olympic Dam, Prominent Hill, they're all over, you know, billions of, of tons of, of copper. And we are running into a base metal shortage. Um, all our growth well, and infrastructure expansion around the world. Okay, so you're, you're actually one advanced. You have many different targets. But the one that's most advanced is is known as Zulima, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and it's yeah. and it's pretty close actually to the Candelaria. Is it in the same belt of rocks as the Candelaria? Well, we have five properties in Chile in the Atacama Desert in Region Three, which is a proven track record for IOCG deposits. I think within thirty miles of of our Zulima property, there's eight or nine mines mm-hmm. so of wow. IOCG. Yeah, the closest being Candelaria, which is about 18 miles away from us on the Atacama. There's an Atacama fault that goes right through our property and across uh, where Candelaria is. And we we truly believe our theory is, and our geologists and technical team, which I'd like to talk about in a moment, because I'm obviously not a geologist, but uh, we've put together the best technical team we could gather in the IOCG space, we brought on Minotaur Australia as our geophysical partner, and they're also on our technical advisor team, Dr. Tony Belperio. They discovered Prominent Hill in Australia, which I believe was sold for over a billion dollars. Christopher Hodgson's is our lead geologist uh, with Chilean Metals. He's a specialist and spent 30 years in South America. He was first boots on the ground and founded Santa Domingo Mine, which Far West, I believe, sold for over $700 million. So we have a proven track record. Uh, Gary Lomans, our VP of Exploration, 30 years in South America and Latin America. And um, we're very excited to have our drilling program commence about a week ago. I'm actually going to be flying on a plane tonight um, down to Chile for a week on the ground with the, with the drillers and the geologists to see how we're coming along. All right. Has, has there been some drilling into this target before? Along the edge uh, of it or something? We did. It took us about, the company, three years or so to get together the land package of these five properties, Alima being our most advanced and our priority property, uh, given its attributes, because uh, we do believe it's a Candelaria look-alike property. It has the scapolite. It has the limestone cap. The target's 140 meters down, just like Candelaria, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> we're very, very optimistic, and uh, we're going to, We've done our ZTEM, all our geophysics, and uh, we can't, you know, uh, how do I say this? We can't de-risk it any further without putting mm-hmm. a drill hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. So we have historical findings. Um, there's pick and arrow old uh, local um, miners on our, that were on our property, you know, decades ago with, with lots of copper, and they'd follow veins, and they'd take it to local mill and, and, and 
and produce it. And then we've, we've got outcrop, we've got samples. We do have a historical drill hole, but it's off our target. Our target's mm-hmm. quite large. It's a, almost a one kilometer square target, which is, again, the size of these footprints of these big, massive potential deposits. And um, we spent a lot of money and time putting together all this geophysical package and, and again, the data and, and de-risking this project. And uh, I believe that that drill hole off target was came back. Uh, again, it was off the target, so it was primarily about 30 meters of 0.6 copper and uh, 0.22 grams per ton gold. So mm-hmm. there was definitely smoke there. Um, yeah. But again, it was off target. It didn't even show up on our our ZTEM uh, results. So that tells you something right there. So we are going to test 10 holes in our current program. And, um, and uh, we were very optimistic on the results. Uh, 10, 10 holes. And, and how much are you spending on that? Well, it's going to be about 2,500 meters. Uh, mm-hmm. Chile is quite expensive. The rock is very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, give you an example. When we drill in Nova Scotia, it's 100 meters a day. In Chile, the Atacama Desert, the rock is so hard, it's about 20 meters a day with diamond oh, drilling. wow. So it's going to take about six to eight weeks to go through the program um, and then assay the results and so on. So that's kind of the time frame there. But uh, we've got some great support, great institutional support, and, you know, the market's changing. And I believe the, the economy and, and the outlook for copper, and if you believe in, you know, the, the infrastructure programs that are being talked out there, there's definitely going to be an increased demand. And I think you've seen that in the price of copper in the last couple months. So uh, your geologist uh, will no doubt be looking at the rocks as much as the grades, I suppose, uh, to determine whether or not you're in the, whether you've hit your target, whether things are looking good or not. When do you think we'll have uh, both assays as well as uh, the geologist's thoughts on, on the results of this of this 10-hole uh, program? Yes, well, so our geologists are on, on the ground right now, and they will be do visual logs of the core as it comes up, and then um, they will be sending it to the, the, the labs, and we have an accelerated turnaround time. Uh, there's a Canadian <coughs> company down there called ACT Labs. They're going to be our uh, certified lab, and we'll do it as quickly as, as we can, uh, just in case we need to make adjustments per hole. And uh, But again, we're probably looking at six weeks, roughly six to eight weeks to have all 10 analyzed and certified results back. So hopefully okay. for PDAC timeframe. Yeah, um, I was going to say. You're, yeah. All right. Well, well, the point is that you're, you've got a market cap, as I mentioned, just around $12 million. So if, yeah. if the market starts to get a sniff of something significant happening here, this stock could, could really go, go ballistic, well, I think. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, you never I know. But this company back in like say March of 2016, and and it's an interesting story. It started off as um, I met with management from Chilean Metals about a year and a half ago to joint venture the Zalima property only as a prospective partner, and uh, we did our due diligence, and we loved the uh, portfolio they had of the five properties so much, and we had our technical advisory teams. Um, uh, Minotaur Australia take a look at all the data and everything and we decided we wanted to be a part of the company that's how much we, we believed in the assets and the project that they already had done um, and then we acquired four properties on the Cobequits Fault in Nova Scotia and um, now we have nine properties phenomenal ISVG targets and uh, we can with the two hemispheres we could be working year round 
Well, that's a good thing. That's the, the lifeblood of a junior mining company is, is news. And what? how soon might you start drilling on the Nova Scotia properties? Uh, we just joint ventured the property to a, to a private Texas firm. And the, the number one property out there is called Bass River. It's already had a couple million dollars of work done on it, and uh, it's drill ready. Uh, we'll hold, the time frame on that's about June or July, mm-hmm. drilling. And again, very, very different uh, uh, balance sheet costs. Uh, I think it's $55 a meter in Canada versus $200 roughly down in, in Chile, U.S. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, taking advantage of the depressed pricing and, and, and the opportunities, get as much work as we can in this market before dollars recover and capital recovers in the market and drives all these, these prices up. So, like I was saying before, it came into this firm and it was around one and a half, two cents a share. Yeah. And we've taken it from half a million market cap. And I think, like you said, it's about 15 million Canadian right now and uh, doing real work and, and, and launching our drill program. And I think it's uh, still undervalued because we have that enormous hedge that we call it or a put, which is our tech royalty on a previous property we sold to them called Copa Query. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm glad you brought that up. We're just about out of time, yeah. but take take a minute to talk to our listeners about that because that's sort of like um, that, that's sort of like a security blanket for you. You've got some value no matter what happens. It is. We think we're undervalued uh, dramatically, just like most of the market. But I think we have an asset portfolio of nine properties, but then we have this this royalty. So we have a three percent royalty on a property we sold to Tech uh, called Copa Query, and it had. This is previous to me, 100 million pounds of copper and 30 million pounds, roughly, of molly. Mm-hmm. It's right beside Tech Resources' famous mine, QB1. Mm-hmm. They're running out of ore. Mm. We're right next door. They purchased the property. We have a 3% royalty. So they're running out of ore. They're doing work on our property right now. We don't know when that royalty would kick in, but as soon as they start production on, on our property... We would have a 3% smelter royalty on that property. And I think QB1 in 2013 did about $400 million gross, then about mm. three-something, then two-something. It's definitely windling down. And, uh, you know, obviously we talked to, to Tech. They're partners of ours in that respect. And, uh, and uh, they're on the property doing work now. So hopefully, don't know if it's 12 months or 18 months, but when that does turn on, we will have a 3% cash flow to this company, which is, like you said, a put or a hedge for this company and, and the, the investor's uh, valuation. But we could also sell that asset to a royalty company or just keep it as cash flow because most juniors, as you know, don't have income streams. Well, absolutely. Well, Patrick, we're, we're just we're, we're going to have to leave it go at that. Is there anything else very quickly that you want to make sure our listeners know about? No, I, I, the only thing I'd add is uh, in the last several months, we have been listed on the Frankfurt and Berlin Stock Exchanges. We are part of MILA, which is Mexico, Lima, Peru, Santiago Exchanges. So there is more distribution, and um, hopefully you know, our story's out, and uh, people look at us for, for investment purposes, and uh, we believe in this so much, I joined the company. So we, uh, we're going to do our best to, uh, to drive that valuation for the shareholder, and uh, hopefully we'll have a phenomenal zero program to report in about two months well we're really looking forward to it best wishes to you and uh, we'll be in touch and and, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon perhaps after the results come in thank you very much Patrick for being with us well folks don't go away we have to go to our commercial break and when we come back Richard Mayberry will be with us 
Richard's always a very interesting fellow, so be sure to stick around to hear what he has to say about Donald Trump and other related issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have one of the more popular guests on this show, Rick Mayberry, with me once again. And uh, to learn more about Rick's wonderful work, his great newsletter, it's earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com. He is the editor of U.S. and World Early Warning Report for investors. It's, it's a wonderful report that incorporates geopolitical uh, happenings as well as history. Uh, I don't know of anybody that has does a better job of relating the past to the future. You know, most people are just absolutely, totally ignorant about history. They don't read. <clears throat> Their knowledge of history is what the statist institutions tell them it is, and a lot of times it's completely opposite of the truth. Uh, and so my advice to my listeners is twofold. Do a lot of reading on your own, and subscribe to Rickard, to Rich Mayberry's Early Warning Report because uh, if you don't have the time to read several thousand years' worth of history, Rick has done that, and he passes it on to his listeners or to his uh, subscribers on a regular basis. And he relates the current what's going on currently uh, to, to the records of history. Well, we need to learn from the past, and Rick does a wonderful job of that. Thanks for joining me again, Rick. Well, thank you, Jay, and, and thanks for those kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, your newsletter, too. I, I always enjoy reading it, and I, I recommend it to people. I think it's essential. Thank you very much. It's, it's very kind of you to say that. Well, we had, um, we've had we titled today's show as Trump, Trump America's Last Chance. 
for a 1776 revival. Well, uh, a former member of the CIA, Jim Rickards, he's been on this show a number of times, and we had him on once before the election, maybe a month or so before the election, and he suggested that this may be our country's last chance uh, to, you know, to keep from going over the edge. Um, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I he didn't. Ex- I don't think he thought that Trump would win. And I, a lot of us saw Hillary Clinton and the, what we've had over the last decades, and said something needs to change. Um, but I'd like your th- like to to get your thoughts on the question that we posed for our show today: Is Trump America's last chance for a 1776 revival? Um. I don't. I wouldn't phrase it that way. I think um, as a as a last chance. I think it's it's probably more accurate to say that he will be the trigger for a 1776 revival uh. because I think he's going to make a lot of mistakes and um, he. Uh, I think he is revealing every day. Uh, by his process of making economic and political and geopolitical policy by using 140-character tweets that he doesn't know what he's really doing. He has no idea. I I heard someone on on TV a few days ago make the very valid comment that a single tweet can move markets and start wars. Oh, for sure. And I don't think he understands that. He does not understand how much power he has. He is mm-hmm. emperor of the world. He knows that, but I don't think he knows what it means. Oh. And he's, he's experimenting with the whole planet, doing the things that he's doing um, in a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a, in my opinion, a, a very emotional um, shoot-from-the-hip kind of fashion. Uh, things that that he should sit down and think about, and study, and and talk with uh, experts on for weeks or months, he just shoots off a 140 character tweet and turns other people's lives upside down. And I think that he's going to do a lot of good things. He's going to be like Mussolini. He's going to make the trains run on time, uh-huh. and people will be really enthusiastic about that. And I think that enthusiasm will lead to uh, economic boom, and and so we're going to have one to three years, I would say, of pretty good times as that enthusiasm works its way all all through the economy and people start new businesses, do things that require optimism. Uh, but but he's going to turn over so many apple carts that it's going to, just like it did with Mussolini, it's going to lead to chaos. And then people will be so disgusted with government of all types that there really will be a genuine new 1776. Interesting. Well, you make the point, Rick, that, uh, you know, these tweets can, can really turn things upside down. When we think about it, the Federal Reserve weighs every word in their pronouncements very, very carefully. Mm-hmm. And a single word uh, can move the Dow Jones up or down tremendously. And so I, I, I get your message. I think it's very, very true. The markets can, you know, can do anything, and, and people can react and start wars, as you say. It's, it's, it's 
Well, for example, the, the stuff he's saying about China, right? Kind of frightening. Oh yeah, I mean he's just he's just bought this idea wholesale that America is supposed to be policeman of the world and that China, the South China Sea should not belong to China and that America should do something about it. Well, America's got 10 aircraft carriers. Um, that's it. That's that's the, all the aircraft carriers they have. And if and the Chinese, I mean, they're right there on the South China Sea. They can they can uh, shoot from their their bunkers all along the coast. Um, sending the U.S. Navy into the South China Sea to run China out of there um, would be suicidal to the Navy. There's just no way they could handle that. Uh, and, and yet he's just assuming that we not only have the right to tell the Chinese that they don't own the China, South China Sea, but that we have the right to take it away from them. Yeah, <clears throat> well, he's going to make America great again, he says, by uh, by building up our militaries and, and maybe building a hundred of those carriers or whatever, those yeah, ships. Yeah, who knows? I mean, um, there's one thing that he's demonstrated um, all through his career and is still demonstrating now in office is that he is really comfortable with debt. And I think that that's going to be the big thing to the economy, is this guy's going to spend money like nobody's ever spent it before. And he's going to have to print it to do that. Um, we've already got a case where there's, there's many trillions of dollars that's effectively stuffed in people's mattresses that they're keeping there because they're afraid to do anything else with it. And as the optimism rises... That money is going to come out of those mattresses and into the economy. And then if you, on top of that, add Trump's spending plans, what you get is hyperinflation. And I, I'm thinking, like I say, we'll have one to three years of, of really good times, but that's going to be ended by a runaway inflation. Well, you talk a lot about velocity of money. And as I hear what you're saying here, Rick, you're talking about an increase in probably in confidence as the economy picks up. <clears throat> We're cer- certainly seeing a stock market that's rallied quite nicely since Trump. I mean, the immediate uh, the immediate reaction when he was elected was was not positive, but within a few hours it turned around and we've had quite a run. Um, and I could see that happening perhaps if people start getting confident and they start uh, and they start letting loose and i would imagine also if we have interest rates rising so that the banks have a positive yield curve mm-hmm. they'll start borrowing short and lending long and and in that way probably increasing the indebtedness of um, uh, getting some of that money off the balance sheets of banks and into the economy and increasing uh, the demand side of the economy or <clears throat> to use a keynesian notion mm-hmm. um, so do you see then this? Do you see this then? I mean, there's tremendous amounts of debt that's still out there, mm-hmm. and the debt to me is so deflationary, though at the same time. But do you see then the possibility of overcoming that with some sort of a hyperinflation or rising levels of inflation? Of course, if we get hyperinflation, it destroys everything. Yep. Nothing can survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you see this playing out and ticking up with inflation? I noticed. You provide a velocity measure in every one of your newsletters, and I mm-hmm. <clears throat> am fortunate to see your April letter, and as I look at it now, the velocity is still quite low, both in the United States and 
around the world, you, you measure it, uh, U.S. velocity of the dollar and the estimated world velocity of the dollar, people still want to hold dollars. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, why? I mean, we're printing it. One of the things you pointed out in your letter is Americans, uh, they, they sort of think that we got to go after China now. But when, in fact, it's the United States that's benefiting from this setup, not China. We print mm-hmm. pieces of paper and China gives us real stuff. What's wrong? I mean, why are we, why are we going against that, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that's like you say. That's on the first page of the February issue of Early Warning Report. The um, this idea that we're being ripped off in this trade deficit thing that Trump worries about so much is really, really naive. Because what a trade deficit means is that we're printing up these little slips of paper and we're sending them off to other countries, and people in those countries get those slips of paper, and they send us back real stuff, like yeah. cars and computers and food yeah. and all sorts of things, that, that they, real stuff that they, they trade. And, and uh, Trump is worried that these other countries are somehow ripping us off by sending us good stuff and we sending them paper dollars. That's <laughs> you know, an example of, what I think, how little he knows about real economics. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, most of the Keynesians, though, uh, probably, well, I, I don't know. The Keynesians have <clears throat> not been uncomfortable with these massive chronic deficits of the United States mm-hmm. year after year. And I guess, Rick, you and I would agree that if we hadn't gone off the gold standard, if we'd remained uh, in a, some sort of a legitimate global monetary system, mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have had this perpetual chronic trade deficit, Right. Right. Um, certainly, because you can't print gold on a printing press. Uh, you right. can't create it on a printing press. Um, but beyond that, um, <clears throat> because you can't create gold out of thin air, um, if we were still on the gold standard, the government would not have been able to grow like it has. The the printing of the money, the in you know paper inflation of the money supply. It's just a big rip-off way for the government to steal what we have and to make itself grow. And if, if it, it was not able to do that because the money would be gold, then the government, I am convinced, would be you know, like one-fourth the size it is today. And, uh, and, it, and we would be vastly more prosperous. The government wouldn't be, but the people would be vastly right. more prosperous prosperous and we'd be in far far better condition that we are, than we are today so it's it's actually i think it's fair to say that going off the gold standard was the setup for the new 70, 1776 revolution that's on the way because the revolution is essentially going to be a fight against unlimited government yeah, the only thing is that the government has more and more tools uh, to keep track of us and, and to put people down that might want to revolt against it, I guess. Oh, more than more than 1776, I'd say, wouldn't you? With all um, the electronic data and things, well, electronic? Sure. Uh? Yes, definitely. Um, actually, <laughs> in 1776, the, the uh, advantage went to the colonists because the Pennsylvania flintlock rifle had been invented. And the British Army was still using the brown best musket, mostly, which didn't have a prayer against that rifle. And mm-hmm. so the colonists had a tremendous 
military advantage in those days, which we no longer have. But um, one of the articles in the February early warning report is about the fact that we need to start looking at the issue of troop loyalty. Mm -hmm. That's something Americans don't talk about, but rulers in other countries worry about it all the time. Are, Are their troops really going to be loyal and put down whatever rebellions occur? And I think we're coming to the stage here where the American military, if it isn't already secretly, is questioning whether it really is supposed to be loyal to the Constitution or to the politicians. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to make a decision. Every soldier, every trigger puller is going to have to make a decision. Am I loyal to the country and the Constitution, or am I loyal to the politicians? And that's what will trigger off that rebellion. Well, they take their oath, their oath of office, I believe, to the Constitution, yeah. not to the chief executive, uh, uh, not to the commander-in-chief, right? That's right. Uh, the last I looked... Uh, the United States was still the only country in the world where people who work for the government take an oath to support and defend the Constitution, not the government. <clears throat> of course, the uh, the Constitution is the mi- in, in the mind of the beholder. It seems the Supreme yeah, Court the, doesn't seem <laughs> the Supreme yeah. Court doesn't really seem to understand the Constitution either. According if you if you take a literal interpretation of it, right? Yeah, that's really true. The Supreme Court's done us a lot of damage, and a big part of that was the the Great Depression and the Keynesian Revolution and economics and all. The yeah. the judges didn't know much about economics, and they just kind of took the attitude that uh, there's no solution for this terrible economic crisis but to give the government more power. And so their dedication to the constraints of the Constitution pretty much went away for many decades. Now, with Scalia, we started coming back. And it could be that with Trump's um, appointments, it will, it will continue coming back. They will follow in Scalia's footsteps, I hope. I really hope. That, that's the, probably the one way to um, avoid a real shooting revolution is to have the Supreme Court begin to go back in the direction of the true Constitution, the way Scalia was trying to do it. Yeah, I wonder, though, if we have a president that doesn't understand the Constitution, whether, uh, you know, what his inclination will be. This is, he's trying to make good on, perhaps now, on campaign promises uh, to those that voted it, voted voted him in, but we'll see which way it goes. Richard, are you concerned? I mean, I read, you talked an awful lot about trade in your February issue. Yeah. You concerned a lot about this trade rhetoric, this vitriolic, anti-Chinese uh, words that are coming out of Trump's mouth, you mentioned, and I think the TPP, which he voted or decided to officially do away with yesterday, I believe. Um, it seems to me, though, that a lot of the these trade agreements had more to do with military alliances than they actually had to do with trade. So in some ways, I was sort of happy to see the TPP abandoned but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Um, there's always... The U.S. government, ever since 1945, has considered it itself to be the rightful um, hegemon of the world, the rightful uh-huh. emperor of the world. And it's going to make everybody behave like they ought to. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they do structure the trade agreements so that there's, um, there are benefits to other governments that claim to be allies of Washington. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, it's all part of the empire. The U.S. empire covers the world. It's the biggest empire there's ever been. Um, and I think that, well, I don't know where, where to go with it beyond that. Just, you're right. Um, and, but I, I uh, yeah, the, the trade restrictions might be the thing that worry me the most. Um, because this guy has a really shallow understanding of economics and he really believes that trade restrictions are a good thing, that if he escalates the trade war that's incidentally already going on, there have already yeah, been, sure. um, I don't know, in the last uh, five years or so, more than 600 cases of governments levying trade restrictions against each other. So the mm. trade war is already going on, and he's threatening to escalate it. And what that means is he doesn't understand how international trade works. He doesn't understand how trade works between, let's say, Los Angeles and San Francisco. If trade restrictions are a great idea, why don't we have the governments of Los Angeles and San Francisco levying trade restrictions right. against each other? Right. Um, he's, you know, I mean, he's really playing with fire here. You can make a really good case that in, um, in the Great Depression, uh, it was the Smoot-Hawley trade restrictions that were levied at that time that turned a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. And I don't think he has any understanding of that. He may not even know what Smoot-Hawley was. <laughs> um, as I point out in, in the February issue here, um, the, the Smoot-Hawley damage, the, the laws that did the damage, I should say, were pretty much wiped out by the Kennedy round trade talks back in the 60s. The politicians all over the world had learned their lesson that trade restrictions are horribly damaging to economies and they lead to war. And so they launched the, these trade talks that, that just opened up trade all over the world. And by, let's say, 1980, pretty much all governments were in favor of free trade. And now this guy, as leader of the world, as emperor of the world, he is coming along and saying, oh, no, trade restrictions are a good idea. So the lessons that were learned in the Great Depression and World War II have been forgotten. And if somebody doesn't enlighten that guy pretty fast, we're going to repeat that history. Well, I don't doubt that. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid you're right about that. Uh, currency wars, uh, certainly it seems to me, though in this age of uh, you know, fluctuating currencies, that there, that's another aspect of this too. And now we have a Treasury Secretary, a new one, uh, talking about how, well, he, of course, when he was looking to be confirmed, he was advocating a strong dollar, quote-unquote strong dollar, which really means uh, not weak against other currencies, mm-hmm. not uh, legitimately strong. Uh, but now, in the last day or so, he sort of has backed away from that and said a weak dollar is probably good for us in the short run. Uh, with just a minute left, Rick, um, any quick thoughts on that? And uh, and and what should we be doing uh, with our money now? <laughs> well, for sure, <laughs> I think you ought to be buying some gold and silver. Um, I I think that uh, um, he, with with the best of intentions, Donald Trump 
is going to do a huge amount of damage to the dollar. And um, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the precious metals, uh, you know, we've seen some, some strength here in them recently. I think you're going to see a lot more. And I, I really think that if we get into a runaway inflation, like I think he's going to trigger uh, two or three years down the road, you're going to be so glad that you bought gold and silver today. So uh, yeah. that's my main advice there. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. I should mention that Rick uh, talks economics a lot. We talk geopolitics when we have him on here. But his letter is very, very good in terms of providing good investment advice as well. So you consider, folks, uh, checking it out. Um, Richard Mayberry, um, let's see. I always forget. It's early warning, uh, earlywarningreport.com. Uh, ch- check it out and, and consider subscribing to Rick's letter. Very reasonably priced. Very great value for the money. So uh, please do yourself a favor and check that out. Thanks so much for being with us, Rick, and we'll look to do it again sometime Thank soon, you. I hope. All right. Yeah, well, that is yeah. all the time we have this week, folks. Next week, uh, I'm going to have John Rubino with me. You always enjoy him, so be sure to tune in next week, same time. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its three aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX.